It's a new day. Yes, it is. Wakey, wakey. Time to get up. Good morning, citizens. Open at them. Fresh and shine. This is your wake-up call, people. Come on, the coffee's on. We're going to get you guys circulating on Christian radio. I understand young people. I know what's hip. I know what's on. I know what's lit. I know what's fleet. What's up, my nerds? Nerds! I work with a bunch of nerds. I'm a nerd, and uh, I'm pretty proud of it. and shine nerds welcome to the back room morning show a part of the love thy nerd podcast network and the official exclusive morning show for ltn radio i'm radio matt i'm the station manager for ltn radio i'm a third generation radio dude and a lifelong nerd and i'm mo the shorter yet louder and some might even say smarter counterpart of Mm. the back row i'm a wife (laughs) mom and super fan of all things friends so today on the show uh it's it's a bit of a tough subject Mm. we're going to be talking about the josh duggar controversy Mm mm-hmm Yeah. Um, It's May 12th, and today we're foregoing our normal show extras, as this show is kind of difficult and heartbreaking, and we don't want to appear insensitive, intermixing our normal levity while discussing it. I wrote that sentence very poorly. It's okay. (laughs) Glad you were able to navigate it. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, consider this a trigger warning, uh, parental warning Mm -hmm. uh, for today's entire show. Uh, I'll reiterate this at the beginning of each segment. But we will be discussing pornography. We'll be discussing abuse, uh, other difficult topics today. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we're going to start by sharing the story of what happened here in the last couple weeks. Uh, So, let let me open this up here. Josh Duggar uh, has been, well, he was arrested. He was arrested on April 29th, which was in the middle of a Duggar family-led, like, conference going on, like a family conference. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was day three, I think, of four, where JB, Jim Bob, right? Is that his Mm -hmm. name? JB, Jim Bob. Yeah. Just ducked out of the conference and left. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, he was uh, actually supposed to speak. Right, he was supposed to speak that night. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody knew why he left, uh, and it was because Josh Duggar had been arrested. And at that point, nobody, the news wasn't reporting why he had got arrested. Nobody really knew. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, because Matt just kind of jumped right into it. I did jump into it. it. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm just Um, assuming you know who these people are. Right. So Josh Duggar is the oldest son of the Duggar family, which had a long running um, show on TLC called 19 Kids and Counting. So they're the more famous of the families with... um, Many children. Right. Many and they're still children. on a TV show. They have a show called Counting On. Right. Which is also on TLC. Um, but back in, what, 2015, I think, when the first first accusation and claim and charges came up against Josh. They... Well, not charges, just accusations. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, when they first came up, they had to rewrite, if you will, the show and focused solely on the girls, the older girls and their Okay, so he hasn't really been the focus of it at all since then? No, he actually has not been filmed at all since then. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we found out, and we'll talk about what the earlier stuff was too here in a minute, but uh, we found out that Josh was charged with receiving and possessing child pornography. Uh, 
there was a, a whole thing about how they're, they it was monitored. It's been it's been kind of proven almost. You know, this, it's still yet to go to court, but it's essentially been proven that he was the one uh, accessing these things. He, uh, well, yeah. Let's talk about the first thing. The first thing happened, uh, like you said, in 2015. There were allegations that uh, he, as a as a child, fourteen years yeah, old, te- or a young teenager, had uh, uh, inappropriately guess, molested, touched. Uh, inappropriately yeah. touched. Um, I guess was it was it his sisters? Four of his sisters, Four and then a sisters, family friend, yeah. a family friend, a babysitter. I think it was. Yeah. Um. So these, these kind of these things came out to light, but of course, you know, he was fourteen. The statute of limitations beyond that is passed. Like he couldn't be charged with that, mm-hmm. but that came out soon after that. It was found that he had an account with Ashley Madison, mm-hmm. which you might recall uh, previously had been uh, like hacked. Mm-hmm. Like someone hacked into Ashley Madison and found their client list. And there were quite a few high profile names that were found to have been using this uh this service, which mm-hmm. specifically exists for people to have affairs. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's exclusively what it is. Married people looking to have an affair. That's how they advertise, that's why they exist. Uh so it was found that he had that as well. Uh, all through this, his his family's still sticking beside him. His wife's still seemingly you know, committed to trying to make things work. They have kids. They have several kids together. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, it was a rough situation already. <clears throat> the 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 thing that happened when he was fourteen. I don't think that while it's definitely not great. I don't think that that necessarily precluded that he would automatically have these kind of problems and feelings as an adult. I feel like there's a lot of bad choices when it comes to curiosity about sex and stuff that occurs with Mm -hmm. younger people. Mm -hmm. But uh, all, 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 um, I guess all that kind of went out the window with what's happened. Yeah. These last few days. Yeah. So it was found out that he had accountability software uh, on his computer, mm-hmm. which was uh, Covenant Eyes, right. which is a good program, but there always are limitations with programs like these because there's only so much you can do. Um, for instance, for the longest time, Covenant Eyes would not work on Apple products because Apple would not p- play ball with them to work mm-hmm. because it would require them to be able to use Apple's code in order to monitor what was happening on the phones and products. Um, what he did instead was he actually had a, a Linux drive mm-hmm. installed that basically allowed him to have to run two separate operating systems on a computer. And so the Covenant Eyes one was on the main operating system. And then he had what was what's known as a Tor browser on the hidden operating system on there that Covenant Eyes was not monitoring tour um tour does kind of get a bad rap because uh a lot of people use it for illegal activity a lot of people because it's essentially a a a browser that pings your usage to like 
hundreds and thousands of different locations. So you can't be tracked pretty much at all. It's it's an anonymous, a truly anonymous browser. Uh, even your own like ISP typically can't tell that you've used it. And so, of course, that would open up the problem of illegal activity. There have been things, uh, there have been whole communities in the Tor world uh, for different uh, seedy things. Uh, one of the most recent things that was taken down was a site called Silk Road, which was for drugs. Like mm. it was an online drug dispersal uh, service. Mm. And, uh, of course, they have these kind of things for child pornography as well. It's a rampant problem mm -hmm. with Tor. Tor essentially was created not for that, but for privacy. They didn't want people to be tracked. They didn't, you know, it's for people that don't want all their stuff being monitored by, you know, Google and whatever else. They just want, you know, peace of mind. Unfortunately, of course, just the nature of it, it was inevitable that it was going to be hijacked for this kind of stuff, essentially. Mm -hmm. So while I wouldn't go as far as to say that everybody that ever downloads the Tor browser is out there to do something illegal, the odds are, <laughs> the odds are it's, it's, it's a bad sign. It looks like a very bad sign. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, there was, there was, uh, Proof that eventually did link his computer uh, to searching and downloading several videos, mm -hmm. uh, all of which went unchecked by Covenant Eyes again because it was on a, a whole separate part of the computer that Covenant Eyes was not monitoring and didn't yeah. know to monitor. It's essentially like having two computers yeah, in, in one, one box, yeah, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Uh, the other mistake that they made with Covenant Eyes is that what he did was set up his wife as the accountability partner, which uh, basically would force him <laughs> to go around it if he wanted to use stuff, if he wanted to look at any kind of pornography. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a bad choice, guys. If you're if you're trying to stop uh, using pornography, you cannot make your spouse or any member of your family your accountability partner because you are more apt to lie to them. Mm -hmm. You need somebody who you can trust that understands the problem that you can talk to that you know isn't just going to go turn around and tell everybody your problem because it's a process. Yeah. Okay. You need actual accountability. Well, and not only that, they're not going to be personally right. hurt Wrecked. or offended. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so agents uh, arrested him, took his uh, desktop computer. Uh, agent in charge said that uh, the the stuff that he found, uh, he's worked in thousands of cases like this. The stuff that he found was in top five worst of the worst mm -hmm. that he's ever seen. Mm -hmm. uh, so, again, not looking good. He is facing, I think, 20 years in prison uh, because of this. Uh, and I'm, I believe it's a minimum of 25, maximum of 40. Oh, OK. I didn't see that part. Okay, yeah. But a lot. Yeah. A lot. The A big, significant chunk of the rest of his life. Yeah. With the potential of more, depending on certain certain things. Okay. It says here, yeah. yeah. It says here in the article, 20 years in prison, fines of up to a quarter of a million. So, because there were two charges, uh, it's 20 so per. per. Mm -hmm. So, they might run concurrent, which they often can, uh, but they might stack them. So, yeah. we'll see. We'll see how that goes. 
Uh, all of the family has reacted, uh, at least on social media, saying you know that that they they love Josh, but they uh, deplore this kind of behavior, and that they basically are going to let Lady Justice do her thing and see what happens. Uh, so it's rough. It's 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 rough knowing that he had all these things come up in these recent years that were giant red flags. Yeah. And he clearly didn't take serious enough steps to make sure he wouldn't fall even further into this problem. Yeah. Um, well, I will say that it clearly looks like he has a sexual addiction that doesn't excuse him. It's right. it's not like a it's not like well I couldn't help it because I was addicted right that that's definitely not how this works at all he he would have he've had he's had years since 2015 at least to decide to get this stuff under control before it gets worse mm-hmm. and it is pretty clear that he did everything that he could to keep up appearances with the covenant eyes and mm-hmm. all that. While still doing whatever he wanted, uh, he has been released on 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 bail, uh, but he's not allowed to go to his home. Yeah. Uh, instead, he's he's uh, staying with some friends of the family. He has to be monitored, confined in the home, wearing a GPS monitor, ankle bracelet, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where the extra charges can come in. By the way, um, part of it is he's it's. He's been released to a third-party custodian, which they are acquaintances of the family. They mm-hmm. actually don't have relationship with Josh, which that was all part of the judge's mm. ruling. Right, right, right. Um, but they, he is not allowed to use their internet, access their internet, or even request their internet password. And right. if he does any of those things, um, the judge has told him, if you even ask for it, I'm tacking on an extra 10 years. Ooh. So, yeah, yeah, honestly, the best thing for him would be to have stayed in jail. Yeah, this is a bad decision mm-hmm. to be released uh, home uh, or at least out. He is allowed to uh, see his own children if his wife is present. Mm-hmm. Uh, his wife is also pregnant right now, mm-hmm. which is just heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, He's allowed to go to some essential activities while he's on house arrest. He's allowed to go to work. He's allowed to go to church. Allowed to go to the doctor, um, but he has to follow some pretty stringent guidelines while right. he's doing that. Yeah, uh, including absolutely no contact with any kind of minor children. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's kind of the story. That's that's where we're at. I have no idea when he'll actually face a judge it could be uh this month it could be a couple years from now these things uh these things tend to take a longer time Uh, especially when it comes to cases like this because they want to make sure that they can 100 percent prove their case right uh so now just a bit of uh clarification you'll see stories online about him um, pleading not guilty to this. Uh, for those of you who've never been in the legal system, uh, that doesn't mean what you think it means. That doesn't mean what it sounds like it means. I, I mean, sometimes it can. But even people who are pretty much dead to rights, 
even people who kind of admit that, yeah, this is this is what I did, are going to plead not guilty because that requires uh, a trial. If right. you plead guilty, there is no trial. There's no sharing your side of the story. There's no, you know, trying to, yeah. uh, you know, get help uh, in during that time. Yeah, it's a conviction, a sentencing, and then you're done. Right. That's it. And so pleading not guilty allows there to be a discussion. There allows there to be, look... Uh, basically, it lets him say, yes, I did this terrible thing, but I've also done these other things, and this is what I want to do with my life, and I think I can get better. You know, gives him a chance to plead his case. Right. Uh, which, you know, whether or not you believe he should have that opportunity, that's what our legal system provides. Mm-hmm. And so this, this gives him that chance. Yeah. Uh, he does have that right. And so this will probably drag out a bit. Uh, but we are going to take a break here when we come back. Uh, Apparently, the people closer to Josh are arguing about what should be done next. Should he be uh, forgiven or should he be purged? Stick around. Hey, everyone. I'm Hector Mirai, and this is Faith and Fandom 180 on LTN Radio. So this past weekend, I was at a Comic-Con. And I had my fancy lightsaber on my table just for kicks and giggles. And uh, when a swarm of Jedi and Sith came by my table, friends of mine that were cosplayers, and wanted me to take a photo with them. And so we all lit up our blades and we stood in the walkway and we took a bunch of photos. And then... Right off to the side of where we were taking our photos, there was a little kid who was on the floor coloring and had a balloon sword. And then the little kid with the balloon sword jumped to his feet and ran over to all of us with our big, fierce, probably multiple hundred dollar lightsabers and squared off against us. No fear, no concern. No inadequacy, no thinking my weapon's not as good as theirs or anything like that. And so we all we all had a good time with that. And his parents stood behind him and took photos of us all battling together. And it was a good time. And, you know, with nerd culture, sometimes we're like, my stuff's not as good as theirs or comparison. But that kid was 100% confident in his sword. And I think... That was a good reminder for me that sometimes we aren't as bold with the word of God, with the sword that he gives us, because we feel like maybe it's going to make us awkward or make people distance themselves from us or that it will come with consequences. But we need to have the confidence in the word of God that that little kid had with his balloon sword. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. We have a much more powerful weapon than we could ever imagine, and we don't ever need to forget it. So I hope the next time you have the chance that you will wield your sword well. And maybe make some noises. Remember to catch Faith and Fandom 180 every Wednesday morning on the Back Row Morning Show only on 
LTN Radio. And if you'd like to learn more about Faith and Fandom, head over to faithandfandom.org where you can learn about our Comic-Con ministry, podcasts, memes, apparel, and book series. You can even read new chapters before they make it to the next book. I'm Hector Mirai, and thank you for spending the last 180 seconds with me. Welcome back to the Backrow Morning Show. I'm Radio Matt. And I'm Mo. And today on the show, we're examining uh, the many different topics surrounding the Josh Duggar controversy. Now, to be clear, this is not us gossiping or piling on, but it does raise a lot of legitimate questions that the church faces these days. And as more situations like this come to light. We're going to have to deal with it. Yeah. Uh, Now, for the... We're foregoing our typical show uh, format for today just to focus on today's topic because it is a tough one. And in case you're just joining us, just know we are discussing some very touchy, possibly triggering topics today. So you have been warned if if today's show is not for you, we will not be offended if you turn us off today uh, and skip to, you know, the next episode. But... Uh, in our first segment, we caught you up on pretty much what just happened over these last couple of weeks, as well as kind of things that came up from the past with Josh Duggar, whom uh, Mo reminded <laughs> reminded me uh, I should make clear who that person is. Uh, <laughs> the oldest of the Duggar family, which was a TV show, which had a reality show on TLC called 19... 19- Kids and Counting. Kids and Counting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Uh, they are a Christian family. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do all kinds of Christian events. Yeah. They're in the, uh, they claim Baptist as their denomination. They're part of the IBLP community. IBLP? What's that? Independent. Oh gosh. Independent something life principles. Okay. Is it similar to IFB? I don't know. Independent fundamental Baptists? I don't know. They follow, (laughs) um, Bill Gothard's teachings. When they go to church, are they wearing suits? Uh, yes. Suits and ties? Okay. Yes. So I would say that's close to IFB then. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that's it. Uh, the first segment, we caught you up on what happened over these past couple of weeks where he had been, uh, Josh Duggar, the oldest, uh, had been arrested uh, for child pornography and quite a bit of it, apparently and quite a bit of terrible, like the worst of the worst kind of stuff. Uh, he is facing 20 to 40 years in prison, a uh, quarter of a million dollar fine, uh, all that. And uh, within their Facebook community, uh, friends of the family and people that have been connected here have been discussing what their response should be. Uh, with a pretty big split between people who believe that he should be forgiven and those who believe he should be purged from any ministry, projects, etc. Mm-hmm. So I kind of believe... This is a bit of a false dichotomy. Like, these aren't mutually exclusive. They're not opposed to each other. Um, so let's, let's, uh, let's talk about what does forgiveness mean here? Like, what are they talking about with forgiveness? Like, should we forgive Josh? What does that mean? What do you think they're talking about? Well, I think that is probably the biggest issue is that a lot of people tend to think of forgiveness as you know, just pretending like nothing ever happened. Right, like, Forgive and forget. Right. Like, all right, don't do it again. Yeah. Uh, but right. be on your way. Boys will be boys. That yeah. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And 
with something like this, if that is any of the beliefs, if that's how people are seeing this, like, let's just forgive, forget, move on, give them another chance. Uh, that's that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. That's incredibly dangerous. Yeah. Um, it's very excusatory at that point. They, right. you know, making excuses and just kind of brushing it under the rug and right moving forward. And now there are... There are going to be people who say, well, you know, Jesus forgives, so how can we withhold forgiveness? And uh, yeah, Jesus does forgive. And yes, Jesus does give us, you know, second chance after second chance after second chance. But there are certain situations in this life where specific actions have to be taken. Mm -hmm. See, what forgiveness actually means is not letting him off the hook and not letting him face his consequences. Mm -hmm. What What forgiveness should mean is... You are forgiving him, as in you are taking the burden off yourself. Mm -hmm. You are choosing not to hold a grudge. Instead, you're just going to hold empathy and sympathy for him. But that doesn't change what has to happen with him. Mm -hmm. That doesn't change that he has got to face the consequences of these actions and hopefully, hopefully come out the other side better. Right. But there are going to be things that are going to be lifelong consequences here and have to be because he has taken steps far too far over the line to fully be able to come back, at least when it comes to society, the church and everything like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in, uh, in this discussion, what do you think purged is meaning? Uh, Removed. Just completely cut out from life, cut out from the church, not allowed back, not allowed in. When I read it, that's how I read it. Yeah. I read it as completely removed, separated from any possible um, victims that he may, Mm -hmm. any possible future victims that he may have, you know. Yeah. That, yeah, that's where I go. Uh, I, I do think that when it comes to at least the church that he's been attending now, yeah. Yeah. He should be purged. Uh, I don't think that it would even be f- be fair for him to attend that and force everybody who already knows him and everybody who might have trusted him to have to try and put on a brave face and say that they're fine with him being here. Because hmm. essentially what that's going to do is it's going to create people that enable him and the people that refuse to enable him are going to leave. Yeah. And that's that's a bad situation all around. And also, I think that it could also, also, also. Also, I think um, it could also, also. <laughs> it could be very dangerous. And, Absolutely. Um, even for Josh, you know, and I know that that's not a popular opinion that a lot of people are going to want to hear me say, but it could lead to a lot of bitterness, a lot of hatred, and, you know, hatred when unresolved can become dangerous. And so it could not only be dangerous for Josh physically, but also for Josh's family and his wife and his kids. You know, I, I, it honestly scares me to think of what could potentially happen to his family. And and you might be thinking like, why are we worried about him going to church? Because he's facing 20 to 40 years in prison. 
Uh, but like we, we said in the first segment, right now he's out on bond, and it could be years right. before this trial actually happens. So he might be sitting in like this pre-trial probation setup where he is allowed to go to church for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, if he does choose to go to church, I'm assuming he's going to be going to his home church. Yeah. Which I just don't think is a good idea. I hope the church makes the right decision at that point to say, nah. Yeah. Not right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you already informed me something that I didn't know, that he's not actually been on the, the sequel show, Counting On, since his original accusations came out back in 2015. Right. Uh, do you think they should cancel the show altogether, though, at this point? Um, so I have mixed feelings about this personally. Because um, you like the show. I do. I like <laughs> I like the show. I like the family. Like the family, yeah. Um, sure, I don't like everything that they do, and I don't agree with everything that they do. And, you know, there's more and more that's coming out that I'm like, oh, okay. Yikes. Yeah. But overall, I do like the family. Um But do you think it's time? Like, how long has this family been on TV? I don't know. Um, Let's see. Josh was, I want to say it was right around the time. He was right around 14. So it's been like over a decade. Oh, yeah. He's he's near our age. Goodness. Okay. Yeah. So it's been a while. So it's been a while. Mm -hmm. So. I'm. Should the show be canceled? Probably. Yeah. Um, And to be completely clear, a lot of the sisters, a lot of the already married um, siblings have YouTube channels that they're making money off of. Are they making as much money from TLC? I don't know. Probably not. Do Not they really need sure. to be making that much money, though, yeah. <laughs> at this point, if they've been on for this long? Shouldn't exactly. they have enough? Now, there's a whole secondary <laughs> side story concerning TLC that we won't even go into. But as far as the money and that whole thing, yeah, they may not even be making any money. Mm. There's claims that the kids are not making any money, even the grown kids, huh. um, from the show. So uh, whether true or not, I don't know. But m- my point is... Those of us who are fans can continue following most of them through their YouTube channels. Right. Um, which honestly is where I've been watching quite a few of them recently. Um, and that is still a way of supporting them without directly putting money into Josh's pocket. Possibly Josh's pocket. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's, I think that's the right call. Um, because there's, there's, there's no way to escape this connection, especially if his wife continues to be on the show. Mm-hmm. There's no way to escape this this tainted image, mm-hmm. I guess, of the Duggar family because of this situation. At least not for a while. Yeah. Like, this is going to stick for a long while. Mm-hmm. And uh, to keep the show running is going to almost... Encourage backlash. Mm-hmm. Like there are going to be people. There are people now that are still ticked off that TLC hasn't already canceled the show. Yeah. Like, like they say it should have happened immediately after we found out what he was arrested for. Yeah. So, and TLC's stance was, you know, we were following the sisters, which most of which, which is pretty true. Yeah, and most of which were actually Josh's victims from when he was. Mm. A child. So it, that was their kind of way of saying we're 
standing on the side of the victim, not on the side of the accuser, mm. accused, gotcha. accused. Um, but here's the thing. Um, Josh and his family live on the property of Jim, Bob and Michelle of his parents. They are basically financially supported mm. by his parents still. So even though he's not a part of the show and his wife and children are not a part of the show, he is directly reaping the benefits gotcha. of the show because his parents are still benefiting from it. And he is still essentially living off of his parents. Yeah. Okay. So, so essentially when it comes to forgive versus purge, it's, it's really going to come down to both. Yeah. Like, should he be forgiven? Sure. But that's not to take the consequences off of him. That's to take the grudge out of your own Mm -hmm. heart because that's not going to do you any good and it's not going to hurt him anymore. So what's the point of it existing? Right. It's not to forgive him. It's not to absolve him. It's to let it go from your heart. And the purge needs to happen. He needs to uh, he needs to be removed from the church. He needs uh, from his church, uh, not, maybe not necessarily all churches in general, but we'll talk about that a little bit more in the next segment. Uh, he needs to be, the show needs to end, essentially. He needs to no longer be reaping any benefits from any TLC project. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so what will happen to Josh now? Uh, like I kind of explained, uh, he, he, he is on pretrial. He is on house arrest. He's allowed to do some very limited things in a very limited way. He's allowed to see his family and his kids, but only if his wife is with him for the kids. Uh, and he will continue in that vein until his trial actually happens. Now, he did plead not guilty, so there will be a trial, which, again, is not saying that he's saying he didn't do this. It's just saying that he doesn't want to just be immediately convicted. He would like to share his side and, you know, operate his legal rights here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, that could be months. It could be years from now before that happens. Most likely though, he will, will be convicted. It just, there's, there's very little doubt that he's done what he's being accused of doing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it looks like at minimum, it's going to be 20 years mm-hmm. and he will have the opportunity to use that time. Use that time to be better. Uh, but unfortunately, prison is also a very dangerous place mm-hmm. already, let alone if you're in there for a, uh, 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 well, harming a minor. Yeah, in crimes any way. against children. Crimes against children. You know, you'll, you'll have murderers in prison that nobody even cares are there. But if you have somebody in there who is accused of a crime against a child, they're going to be target number one. Mm-hmm. And uh, while most people can go in and kind of hide this unless they make enemies, uh, this is very publicized. Yeah. Josh is not going to be able to hide it. And so yeah, mm-hmm. his options are are pretty limited, but it'll probably come down to two options. Either risk it and be in the general population. Or be put in protective custody for his entire time in prison, which is essentially solitary confinement Mm -hmm. for 20 to 40 years. 
I don't think he could do either of those very successfully. Yeah. So there's high likelihood that he may die in prison. Yeah. Uh, It's not looking great. Now, this doesn't mean he's beyond redemption. This doesn't mean that he can't recover from this kind of mentality and this kind of addiction that he's let fester. Um, but we're going to talk, we're going to open that up a little bit more here in the, the next segment. The next segment's probably going to be the longest. Um, we're going to talk about how the church should handle uh, sexual predators, sex offenders. Uh, should they be allowed in church? Uh, should we ban them completely? Are they redeemable? Are they... Um, were they born evil? Were they born this way? Uh, we're going to talk about red flags. We're going to talk about some things that you might believe that are complete myths about, uh, these kind of people. Uh, it's going to be, uh, interesting. So stick around. Uh, we're going to take one more quick or another quick break. And when we come back, we'll open this up a little bit more. In nerd history, these are the voyages. That was the title of the final episode of Star Trek Enterprise, the fifth live-action Star Trek television show set in the early days of Starfleet, with the very first crew of the very first Enterprise, with its captain, Jonathan Archer, played by the amazing Scott Bakula. Coming at the end of just its fourth season, three seasons short of the three Star Trek shows before it, this episode opted to bring in Commander Riker and Deanna Troy aboard the Enterprise D to review the events this finale covered through the eyes of Starfleet's future. Airing on May 13th, 2005, this episode was widely panned by critics, fans, and even the cast itself, saying that too much was taken away from the main cast in order to essentially make a quasi-Next Generation episode instead. While it wasn't apparent at the time, there was a reason for the heavy tie-ins to the much-beloved Next Generation. Upon the completion of the show, a streak of 18 years of new Star Trek episodes would come to an end. More than that, it was also planned that this would be the end of the Star Trek saga as a whole having come full circle. Producer Brandon Barga admitted that while the cast was upset with his choices, he defended them, as this would not just end Enterprise, but end Star Trek. Newspapers covering Enterprise's cancellation and its final episode often said the failure of Enterprise was evident that the franchise had moved too far from its roots and grown too dark. Of course, as we all know, this was not the end of Star Trek, as we will soon have five Star Trek series running in the same year, in short order. And, of course, those of you who've been watching Discovery or Picard, well, you know things have gotten, ooh, a good bit darker. Today's Star Trek is certainly going a different direction than it was 16 years ago as Enterprise turned out the lights. But, love it or hate it, Star Trek's legacy is still, boldly, going strong. I'm Radio Matt. See you next time for more Nerd History. Welcome back to the Macro Morning Show. I'm Radio Matt. And I'm Mo. And today we're talking the Josh Duggar controversy. It's a difficult topic. And uh, in this segment, we're opening it up to an ongoing issue that churches are dealing with, uh, how to handle sex offenders. Now, in case you're just joining us, this episode is definitely talking about more adult topics. Mm -hmm. So... 
there's your warning again if you're you're not down to hear this today that's okay it's quite heavy mm -hmm. so in the first two segments we discussed what's happened uh, in the Josh Duggar story and how the conversation about what to do about him has progressed um, and now in this segment we're going to talk about how churches have handled sex offenders in the congregation uh, now when we say sex offenders there are two different kinds of people that kind of fall in that term in most people's minds. Uh, people who are active threats that have not been caught, and then the legal definition, which would be someone who has been convicted of a felony, sexual misconduct, or abuse. Uh, and today we're going to kind of talk about both. Uh, but before we do that, let's address something. Uh, when we were younger, we started hearing about the scandal in the Catholic Church. Uh, when over the next few years, hundreds of priests were found to have abused children, uh, sometimes even adults. And uh, currently, the Baptist Church is undergoing a similar reckoning where about 700 victims have come uh, forth uh, experiencing abuse within the church over the past 20 years. Uh, both of these situations are awful, uh, but Despite how the media presents this, it's not disproportionately more than other segments or group in society. Um, typically, people try and demonize church in general based on these things occurring. Uh, there are, I want to, uh, it's close to 11,000 uh, sexual abuse crimes every day in America. So, 700 victims over the course of 20 years, that's not a disproportionate church problem, though it is a problem within the church that mm -hmm. has been largely ignored for a long time. Yeah. Uh, Christians do tend to get lumped together with this. Christians whose whole deal is wanting to be better and more like Christ, and the world loves to kind of pile on when it turns out that we're just as messed up as everybody else. And it's like a surprise. And like, you know, we know we're as messed up as everybody else. Mm -hmm. uh, you just might not know that we know that, but we know that. Um, but that aside, uh, there is no ignoring that this is an issue. Uh, and perhaps the biggest issue to come out of this is the fact that many, if not most, of these events tend to be covered up, brushed aside, or quote-unquote dealt with internally when uh, legal action should always be taken in regards to sexual abuse. So when it comes to dealing with um, sexual predators that have never been caught, the church is kind of in a rough spot. There are like red flags. Uh, like, you know, you can, you can kind of tell when some people are being a little skeevy, mm -hmm. staring a little bit too long at teenagers or children when they have none themselves. Um, volunteering for these things despite not really showing an interest in the actual growth of the church that involve children. Uh, like sometimes the red flags are very apparent. Mm -hmm. Some people, however, show absolutely no red flags. Uh, people aren't born sex offenders. They're not born like just these terrible, you know, abusive people. This, this occurs one compromise at a time, mm -hmm. one moral compromise at a time. It's the same thing that happens with people that, you know, become drug, drug addicts or, or drunk drivers or all this kind of thing. It's one little compromise after another. And unfortunately, 
the the ones with sex are also often the easiest to hide. And so one little mistake, one little compromise of morality over time often results in this, this kind of stuff, this kind of behavior. Churches have to stay vigilant. Uh, You can't treat everyone like a potential sex offender because that'd be ridiculous. But you must take that concern seriously. If someone is concerning you, someone is... uh, suspicious, you know, weird, secretive, uh, unfortunately, you have the responsibility that you should watch them, observe their social media behavior, even see if you see them have some unhealthy connection or focus on children's ministry or the youth. Uh, if someone is caught committing a crime, you must call the police. It doesn't matter how long they've been a member of the church. It doesn't matter how many dinners they've shared with you over the past five, 10 years. You have to call the police. Mm -hmm. You cannot give them a chance to fix it on their own because they can't. Mm -hmm. In in 999 out of 1,000 cases, there's no way they can do it on their own. The police must be called. Every victim also has to be taken seriously. You cannot brush aside, and especially you cannot ostracize someone who claims to have been the victim of a sexual assault in the church. This should be the safest place for someone who has been hurt. You cannot put the blame back on them. You cannot make them feel like they will be kicked out or removed or ignored because they decided to actually share the fact that they were hurt, that they were abused. And unfortunately, that's the biggest problem that we've been seeing with this stuff. It happens far, far too often. Like, we don't want to make waves in the community. We don't want the church to look bad. We don't want our pastor to look bad. We don't want to have all this scorn heaped upon us by the people around us. Let's just deal with this ourselves. I think something needs to be said about um, as adults within the church, we have to stop making sex taboo and shameful. Mm. We have to have real honest conversations with our youth and our children within the church, because that is really where it starts. Um, You're going to have curious teenagers, curious, um, what's the word? <laughs> I don't know. Prepubescent. Prepubescent. Thank okay, you. Okay, there you go. Sure. Um, teenagers <clears throat> who naturally are going to be curious. Oh, yeah. I'll be honest. When I was in youth group, that's literally, like, that age, that's literally was 90% of what I thought about. Yeah. And that's most boys. <laughs> it is. And it's most girls. Yeah. Um, It's not a boy or a girl, one versus the other kind of situation. Um, So they're going to be curious. And if they can't talk about it, if it's shameful and it's taboo and it's something that you just don't discuss, they're going to be more secretive. Yeah. In the way that they figure things out, you know, what they find, what they do. Even further, if it is shameful then a victim 
is automatically going to blame themselves for anything that happens and they're not going to feel comfortable coming forward. Yeah. We have to stop making sex shameful when it comes to having conversations with our kids. We have to be real with them. We have to talk to them like the young adults that they are and be honest about it. I'm living it. I have two boys, 15 year old and a 14 year old. I'm living it. I am a, I guess I would say I am a survivor of sexual misconduct within the church. I've lived this life and now I'm walking through these sex talks, these big, heavy sex talks with my own boys. And I think because I lived it, my eyes are a little bit more open to things that I need to be aware of when my boys are at youth, the things that are happening, things that are going on, things that seem very innocent within the church that as adults, we need to kind of take the blinders off of our eyes. We need to be aware of situations that seem safe, but within a matter of literal seconds can become unsafe for somebody. Um, and be willing to have those conversations. That's where it's going to start. Yep. That's my two cents. And, and you're absolutely <laughs> right when it comes to if it's if it's something that is seen as a shameful thing. If someone is abused, they're not going to talk about it because that's what that's what came about with the the whole Catholic Church thing and with the the thing that's happening now in the Baptist Church. These aren't people that have been abused this year. These are people that were abused as children. And had it in their mind that it was their fault mm-hmm. or that they deserved it or that they were worthless. They for did something so long. to cause yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. For so long. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until they were adults and they saw a few other people saying, no, I need to speak out. I need to share this. This happened. Mm-hmm. That they were finally <laughs> given enough courage to do the same thing. Right. Like this, this, this can't be, can't be brushed aside. It can't be anymore. Mm-hmm. So what about uh, convicted sex offenders? Now, these are people that have uh, committed a crime, been sentenced, typically been in jail, and are typically on a, a registry for the rest of their lives. Should they be allowed in churches? This is a tough, tough, tough question. Uh, first, let me disabuse you of a uh, fact that you may have heard in regards to sex offenders for a long time. Typically, whenever... Uh, they're brought up, and this is talked about. You know how dangerous they are. You are given a a quote that says the recidivism rate, as in the reoffending rate of sex offenders, is somewhere between seventy five percent and like ninety percent. That is, it's incorrect, but it's. Well, okay. It's correct and it's incorrect. It's, it's a misleading. It's on a fact. It's misleading. Yeah. Because that fact is talking about all crime. It's saying that the people that committed a sex crime, once they are out of prison, between 75 and 90% of them eventually commit another crime. But it's not saying it's another sex crime. Mm-hmm. It can be theft. It can be as simple as breaking their probation rules once, which they can be pretty strict. It could be as easy as not being able to find a job in time. Those kind of things count towards that number. 
The real rate of actual reoffense when it comes to another sexual crime is closer to 10%. It's actually like 9.2%, which is 1 in 10, though. And yeah. that's still not comfortable odds mm -hmm. for churches. Most churches are not prepared for this. They are not prepared for a sex offender to want to start attending their church. Uh, sex offenders who want to be in the church most likely are sincere. Especially if they tell you about their issues, if they make it a point to avoid children and youth, as well as areas of the church where they tend to be, and that they're open books about their story. Not necessarily shouting it to the rooftops, but if a pastor or a deacon asks them about them, they're willing to share everything that actually happened. Mm -hmm. These are the people that have hope and should be allowed in church, but not necessarily just with free reign. Sex offenders should be monitored. Sometimes it might be the best idea to have someone in the church that you assign to sit with this person and stay with them while they're on the campus. And honestly, most of them are going to expect that. If they're sincere, if they're really wanting to be there, they're going to know. They're going to come in knowing that there are going to be some requirements, some limitations to what they can do. All they typically want is to be there to grow closer to God and to become better people like most of us want to. Mm -hmm. And even to find a community of people that might start to accept them as they try to rebuild their life. Because most are really trying to rebuild their life. And they're going to face a very tough situation, a very long uphill battle for the rest of their lives to do so. Everything's going to work against them doing that. Which is typically why they tend to commit other crimes like theft and whatnot. It's not because, oh, I'm just ready for another crime. It's because they can't get a job. They don't have money to eat. They're homeless, things of that nature. It tends to happen quite a lot. There are several cities that have uh, sex offender villages, which are just basically homeless camps, people living in tents uh, because the laws of that city make it almost impossible for them to have a job or to be anywhere, to get a house, anything of that nature. <clears throat> now, they should not, I, w I won't go as far to say a sex offender should never be allowed to volunteer in the church. Uh, I think there are quite a few opportunities, especially if there's been a long time past and they've proven that they're uh, at least moderately trustworthy, uh, but they should never never be allowed to volunteer around children or youth. Uh, that shouldn't even have to be a rule you make. The offender, again, should want to stay as far away from them as possible. Uh, if not for his own sake, which, you know, he'll most likely be on probation. And uh, most sex offenders on probation are actually polygraphed every six months to, uh, with the question, have you been around minor children? Uh, they'll get thrown back in prison <laughs> if they get that wrong. Mm -hmm. So most of them will want to try and stay as far away from them as possible anyway. But even then, again, if they're attending the church with the right heart, uh, they should want to give you as much peace of mind as possible. Give the parents of the church as much peace of mind as possible. So if he or she is requesting to help with kids, that's a massive red flag and grounds for immediate kicking out. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm getting shaky talking about these topics. Mm. 
Of course, there are other factors that determine the level uh, of caution to take. Did this person ever actually touch someone or was it all just online? Uh, how long ago did the offense occur and what has happened in that time since? Uh, if any victims are in the church uh, that this offender, like that's their victim, that offender simply cannot attend there uh, and should be smart enough to not even try because that is again, putting the offender above the victim. That victim should not have to face their abuser Yeah. Uh, in the church. That should be a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, victims of sexual abuse by other people will also likely take issue with an offender in the church. You cannot dismiss their feelings either. Uh, as, a, as a church pastor or leaders in the church, you kind of have the responsibility to even talk to them if you know this is a situation to get their opinions and thoughts before allowing a sex offender to attend your church regularly. Bottom line, churches have to be vigilant. Uh, All volunteer positions in the church that are any way involving authority over minors should require background checks. And I feel like that's pretty universal these days, at least. Uh, But that's just like the beginning. Uh, Members who are found to be sex offenders that never disclose that to the church should either be watched extremely closely closely or removed from the church entirely. It should not be a secret from your church. That's essentially what I'm saying. Yeah. Anything to add to that segment? (laughs) Well, and there's some, there's so many variables that we need to consider. Um, When you're on the outside looking in, it's really easy to say, well, a sex offender has no place in church or living amongst my family, you know, it's very easy to, to jump on that bandwagon and take quick, um, I guess, protection yeah. against your family, not realizing all the variables. I mean, there are several, I don't know how many, but I would venture to say close to hundreds sex offenders who were charged by a ex-girlfriend's family when he was 18 and she was underage. Mm. The family didn't want them seeing each other anymore. There was, you know, I mean, we hear the story. I've heard stories all the time of cases like that, situations like that. And now this person's life forever is labeled as a sex offender. Mm -hmm. You know, they've they're, even they're, gone on. Some of them have even gone on to marry each other. Yeah. You know, and they're they're also and, you know, this is kind of brought up as a joke sometimes, but it's actually true. There are quite a few people that are on the sex offender registry because they were peeing in public. Yeah. Because that was considered flashing. It was considered a sexual offense, even if the only person that saw them was the police officer that happened to come across them. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like they were. Yeah. You know, sitting on the highway waiting for school buses or something to open a trench coat. They were simply peeing behind an alley. Yeah. That alone in some states can qualify as a sexual offense. Mm-hmm. And if put it's you on within the so many feet and proximity mm-hmm. of anywhere that a child could be, a, yeah. a church, a school, a daycare, anything of that nature. Yeah. Even if it's after hours, even if it's at... Yeah. Two o'clock in the morning when we know there are no children in any of those buildings, they're caught peeing in public. That kind of stuff happens far more often than you might think. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So when you consider the variables, it's important to know, and you're not going to be able to know everybody's history. I get that. You're not going right. to be able to sit down and know everyone's, you know, criminal record. Yeah. Even if you were to look on the websites that have these, you know, lists, what these people are here for and what they were arrested for, even then it's not going to show you exactly what they did because these things typically are labeled by just kind of like an overarching mm -hmm. thing, like exploitation of children. What does that mean? Yeah. That's, that's, that's a, that's a term that is kind of ambiguous. Uh, it sounds really bad and it is really bad, but you don't know what level of bad that is. Was that contact? Was that viewing images? Was it, you know, you mm -hmm. know just A, B, or C? Right. No one knows. Right. So I you can't really judge that mm -hmm. based on anything that you see online. So a couple years ago, I actually had a situation that really took me off guard. As I was taking down VBS um, at a church, I was approached by someone who was very upset because we have a, a, a local recovery mm. group here in our town. Um, and a lot of like volunteer things that recovery group will be a part of. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's part of their recovery process. It's part volunteer, of, yeah. uh, -huh, it, um, like hours that they need for, yeah. Uh, like drug court or yes. probation, things of that nature. Okay. So volunteering in a church function like this is always a great way for them to kind of get those hours, earn those hours. Mm -hmm. um, for years, I have had direct contact with this group. You know, we, I personally love this group of people who mm -hmm. come in and out of this recovery program. Um, and so I was really taken off guard when I had a mom and a volunteer come up to me just furious and enraged that they were there helping take down VBS. And I didn't understand it at first, but she asked, you know, why are they here? And I said, Oh, they're, they're just helping us take down their manpower, you know, helping Correct. us take down. Like it, wasn't, things away. it wasn't interacting with children. Right. It was literally like tearing things down, putting mm -hmm. chairs, tables away, cleaning up. Exactly. Yeah. Um, to which I got a lot of huffs, and then she immediately turned to her children who were there with her helping take things down, but turned to her children and said, do not leave my side. And it didn't even, things didn't register with me until much later afterwards that that was her fear. That was her worry, was mm. that her children were going to be hurt in some way. Yeah. Um, as a parent, as a mother, having these conversations with our children is really where it really where it starts. Yeah. Being able to say, Hey, listen, there are people who have done things, whether right or wrong or indifferent, you need to be aware of it. You need to be aware that there are these people in the world. Not everybody is great. Not everyone is meant to be trusted, but we cannot also walk around expecting that we're going to know every single person who's ever done anything wrong. Um, and under the assumption that everybody who's ever done anything wrong is always going to be bad. Right. Um, having these conversations with our kids, and I keep going back to this, I know, but having these conversations where our kids, I think, is where the change is going to happen. When they can begin to understand that these things do happen and they happen within the church, not only are we as parents going to be vigilant, but then our children can be vigilant. And yeah. that is going to be a domino effect for future generations.
we're going to see a slow change simply because we're taking steps towards educating our children in a different way. Right. So that leads into my final segment here is why should churches take the risk? Why not ban all sex offenders from all churches, period? Like we've been saying, most sex offenders who actually actively come to church because they want to, especially the ones that are open books about their story, that they're apologetic, they're not trying to make excuses for what happened, that they are willing to deal with whatever safeguards the church chooses to employ to allow him or her to attend, truly, they are trying to recover their lives. Mm -hmm. There is this other misconception out there. Uh, that is often quoted with you know news stories and outrage online that there is no cure for this kind of mentality that there's no cure for sex offenders there's no cure for being attracted to children or things of that nature it's again a a misconstruing of the facts it's true but it's not there's no cure because it's not an illness Recovery, though, is possible. And it's the same idea that a lot of people who are against recovery programs have, is that how come we don't have, like, numbers of how many people have, you know, been cured, been fixed mm-hmm. from recovery? Like, that that doesn't exist because this is a lifelong process. Right. Now, you're going to find people that have sobriety from whatever issue that they dealt with for years and years and years and years, but they never consider themselves fixed because the moment they do, that's when they let their guard down Mm -hmm. and they slip back into old habits. Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe they wouldn't. But you don't know. That's just a safeguard. It's a safeguard. It's a a safeguard you should celebrate Mm -hmm. that they're doing because they're trying to make sure they keep themselves in check and never make this mistake again. Mm -hmm. The same thing is true with sex offenders. People can change. People do want to get better. There is no cure, but there is a process for change. There is a way for them to reach a point in their lives where that no longer becomes a temptation or even something that they desire. It just takes churches and programs willing to help them. Mm-hmm. Because they can't do it on their own. If we turn our back on sex offenders who really want to change, we might actually be setting them up to commit more crimes because we never answered their call for help, for accountability, for love, for a desire to a better future. It's a burden. Sin is sin. But because of the risk to safety in nearly all cases, it has to be treated seriously. And some churches are are just not going to be able to be safe places. They just are are not equipped or prepared. Pastors and leaders of these kind of churches cannot just simply kick the sex offender out and say, good luck, help that person find a church in the area that can accommodate them, can accept them. Churches who have ministries that focus on outreach to people with criminal histories or drug offenses, etc., such as Celebrate Recovery, might be better choices. Many towns even have entire churches that exist just for people with sketchy histories that are trying to live their life more righteously moving forward. These are fantastic options when available. 
People can change. Time can earn some trust. But there are some things that will never be normal again for these people. And most of them understand that. Mm -hmm. Most of them understand that they will be at least slightly uncomfortable everywhere they go. That they will have to be uh, a little bit more humble than they might have otherwise. Especially when there are people upset that they're around. They're going to get it. But we in the church need to have grace, love, hope, and faith. All of these people need these things. Just like anyone who has screwed up their lives to whatever degree, we cannot just toss them out as if they're not worthy of God's love or of a church home or of a community. But the proper way to handle them is a delicate business. And, uh, it's going to be different for every church, every area. And again, like I said, there are going to be some places that just cannot be equipped. But help them in whatever way you can. Get them help. Don't turn away someone who legitimately wants to be better and is legitimately seeking this restorative power of Christ just because you're uncomfortable having them around. I'm not saying you can do it all for them, but do what you can. Mm -hmm. It's our responsibility as believers. Mm -hmm. And it might be a rarity. It might not be common at all. But there are sex offenders out there who have gone on to be better, to do great things based on the fact that they had people come beside them and help them be better. Especially those that did something when they were young. When you, when you've done something like, you know, for the example, like you said, like a, an 18 year old that had a a relationship with a younger teenager Mm -hmm. and then it blew out of proportion. That's happened in our town. I remember that happening once when I was a, in high school, hearing about that. Yeah. Like, I knew these people, and I knew that wasn't the situation that happened, but mm-hmm. the parents decided to make a big deal out of it. Yeah. I don't know if that kid actually ever got charged with it, but it's quite possible that he did. Mm-hmm. And that could have ruined the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. There's so much life ahead of most of these people. And... I would say 90% of them think that it's completely thrown away. And most of them are just going to live out their days either homeless or just barely scraping by on a, just a terrible life alone. And that's incredibly sad, incredibly disheartening, but it's also understandable Mm -hmm. because this is a, a society wide, uh, offense like it's not just hurting the person that's the victim like it's a betrayal of anybody who ever trusted you but that doesn't mean that god sees them and the rest of their lives as worthless and that doesn't mean we should give up on them it's hard to say and i know especially if you are a victim of sexual abuse that's going to be a difficult thing for you to ever come to accept too. And I get it. And it's not really your responsibility to accept that. 
again, delicate balance. Yeah. Hard situation. Yeah. No easy answers. But God didn't promise us easy answers. It's one thing that's easy, that's accepting Christ as your savior. Everything else that comes after that, actually pretty difficult. Mm -hmm. I think there are a few things that we, I want to say as outsiders can do. Um, Maybe you're not directly affected. Um, Maybe you aren't the victim of sexual abuse or sexual misconduct in any way. But something... Something that you can do is truly be willing to hear and understand the full story. Hear and understand in its entirety the offense. Um, And then be willing to approach it from a place that Jesus would approach it. And if you think that there's no reference in the Bible... I suggest you you open it up and read it. <laughs> um, there's several right within Genesis that we can take stories from. You know, several right within um, the direct lineage of Jesus that we can take reference to. You know, and, and every single one of those stories point to grace. And I'm not saying that we walk away and we forgive and we brush things under the rug because that is the first mistake. I think that the Duggar family made as far as Josh is concerned, Yeah, they brushed things under the rug from early on things that were shameful, things that they didn't want to address, things that they didn't want to attach to their family, but things that we discussed early on, are honestly kind of natural. Mm-hmm. Were they okay? No, absolutely not. But the curiosity that started it was natural. Um, but being able to address those issues head on with honesty and with vigilance is step one. That's the first step that we need to take. Yeah. Um, but then being a safe place for people, whether it is the accused or the accuser, being a safe place, a place without judgment, a place without fear, a place without condemnation, but a safe place for them to share. I think that that's something that we can all take a step towards Yeah. moving forward out of all of this. If you feel offended, if you feel upset, if you feel angry, I Lean into those feelings, but also lean into forgiveness. Lean into what Jesus would require of you. If you're a victim, if you've been a victim, please hear me say, you may never see justice this side of eternity. But take faith. I hope you can take hope in what I take hope in, that Jesus knows. He sees all. He knows all. He understands all. Every tear we've ever cried, he's counted every single one. And ultimately, justice is his. We're going to take one more break. Don't go anywhere. When we come back, we're going to share our final thoughts. Stick around. Welcome 
Welcome back to the Back Row Morning Show as things are winding down for the day. But first, we're going to share our final thoughts on today's topic. I'm going to close us out by saying, well, I'll let Matt speak to but I'm going to close my thoughts <laughs> out by done. saying <laughs> to remember ultimately Jesus is love. God is love. Love does not mean pretending like things didn't happen. Love does not mean Slap the, on the guilty wrist, away. wins. Yeah. But love is gracious. Love is kind. And I think that's where we need to land. That's where we need to find ourselves on the side of love at the end of all of this. I agree. Uh, my final thought goes out to anybody right now who is struggling with a, a sexual addiction. Uh, and we know that there are many of you. This could be a pornography addiction, which is something that I've struggled with early in my life. This could be uh, an unhealthy attraction. Uh, to someone you shouldn't be attracted to. You haven't committed a crime yet, but you might be feeling yourself move in that direction. Uh, sexual addiction is is just like a drug addiction. Drug addictions, uh, those who've, who've been addicted, know that the longer you're uh, addicted to a substance, the more of that substance it takes to actually continue to get the same kind of high that you experience. Um, even as little as cigarettes, you know, the, more, the longer you use cigarettes, the more nicotine you, nicotine you need in order to, to uh, get the same relief that you feel from them. Alcohol works the same way. Sexual addiction works the same way. You're actually experiencing a drug addiction. You're addicted to the chemicals your brain releases when you experience these kind of things. And just like with nicotine, your brain gets used to the chemicals and needs more. And often this translates to more and more taboo behavior, uh, more and more inappropriate behavior, things that give you some sort of rush or thrill. And that quickly leads to things that are illegal. If you feel yourself in that that vein, if you feel yourself inching towards something that you 10 years ago never thought you'd ever even consider doing, please hear me. Now's the time to get help. Don't wait until you make a mistake that's going to ruin the rest of your life. Don't wait until you have to get arrested for something to stop. If you've been dealing with this and you're fortunate enough to be hearing me talk right now, waiting for a sign from God, take this as that sign to get help. Now find a celebrate recovery, find a counselor, talk to your pastor and how, you know, have him help you find something, but you have got to do something about it before you make the mistake. And unfortunately there are far too many, most people, who might be dealing with this right now, who hear me say that are not going to listen. Be the one that stands out. Be the one who made the right decision before mm -hmm. you make the wrong one. Celebrate recoveries are everywhere all over the world. Go to celebrate recovery.com. Find the group locator 
uh, in the, the overhead menu. Uh, almost certain you'll find one within 20 miles of you, like pretty much anywhere you are. Probably several. Start attending. Start working the 12 steps for this now before it's too late. All right. I can't talk about this anymore. <laughs> Let's end with our verse for the day. Our verse for the day is Ephesians 1, 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That's going to do it for our show today. Be sure to check out all of what we do online at lovethynerd.com. We've got amazing articles on all things nerdy as well as this show, LTN Radio, and our other podcasts and videos. If you'd like to directly support our mission and become a financial partner with Love Thy Nerd, and specifically with LTN Radio, then please visit lovethynerd.com slash partner, and you can find LTN Radio in the drop-down menu. Love Thy Nerd is a qualifying 501c3 nonprofit organization, and your gift is tax-deductible. Follow us on all the socials at at the back row LTN, at LTN on air, and at Love Thy Nerd. To get more involved with the show and our other projects and to continue the conversation, you can join our Discord at backrowdiscord.com. And you can also find us hanging out at the Love Thy Nerd community Facebook group and at lovethynerd.com slash Discord. Lastly, remember that we air first exclusively on LTN Radio, ltnonair.com, every Monday through Thursday at 8 a.m. Eastern with an encore at 10 a.m. But if you miss a day or just can't catch the show live, find the Back Row Morning Show podcast version on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, all of the places. Subscribe, rate five stars, and leave a review. All of that helps us out immensely. Join us tomorrow morning for Back Row Rewind as Matt and I relive one of the classic morning shows, Recovering the Purpose of VBS. Also, as a note, our Back Row Rewind episodes are moving to the LTN Specials podcast feed and will be featuring in the LTN Radio Weekly Recap post on lovethynerd.com. Our main podcast feed will only be for new episodes moving forward. To subscribe, simply open your favorite podcast app and search LTN Specials. Once again, I'm Radio Matt. And I'm And remember, if nobody else tells you, we promise it's true. Jesus Jesus loves loves you, nerd. nerd. What's up, nerd? You digging this podcast? Well, the audio enjoyment doesn't end there. Visit LTNOnAir.com and make LTN Radio your new go-to for the best Christian rock, rap, pop, and indie, as well as our exclusive LTN shows and podcasts, some of which air on the station before they're available anywhere else. Visit LTNOnAir.com to listen now and find the link to our app. Now back to the show. Now back to the show.